Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All it takes to get Evan engaged right at the start of the podcast is to suggest in passing, hey, what kind of headphones would we want? for like actually recording with headphones his cheapest suggestion was in the high 400 so far each and he said it with a stink face so (laughs) (laughs) i knew you'd never go for it (laughs) your problem was starting at 700 you really should have started in the thousands i'm just like an nh or an nhl player negotiating their contract i'm starting way too high and then when i say something that i still think is too high but it's lower than the originals you might you might go yeah, for it, it. It was almost 50% of his original offer. We need him to negotiate like uh, Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> That's what we need right no, now. No, we need him to negotiate Lucas Raymond and Mo Satter when they come up. Yeah. So probably only pay them $12 mil a year. Yeah, well, I mean, Jack Hughes has set a little bit of a forward market. Maybe. Maybe. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but... Uh, that, that contract's a whole other conversation. <laughs> actually, that's a conversation that we will have today because I think that's an interesting one. Yeah. It, it, oh, it is super interesting depending on a few angles, actually. I'm curious to see what you guys think about who, if there was any clear winner or loser in that between Jack Hughes and the devil. Not right now. The devil. The one devil, Tom Fitzgerald, who signed the deal with him, uh, with Jack Hughes in New Jersey. Um, but we'll get to that. Anyways, guys, we are past uh, American Thanksgiving. Which, Hur- hooray. Well, which means I now have the license to have done a little bit of decoration. I wanted to do it as of November 1st, but someone told me you have to be done. <laughs> That's not the one with the bell. <laughs> You'll find the one with the bells eventually. Uh, nope, you won't find it there. I wanted to do it as of November 1st. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> this was a mistake. <laughs> but I was told you need to wait until after Thanksgiving. And so we are past... And uh, it's getting a little bit, bit more festive in here. Next up is the jersey, but one step at a time. Hey, if the Red Wings come up with a green alternate jersey, we'll have a hell of a display up there. You're setting the world on fire with that. That would be the third. Actually, out of the, all the jerseys that would be released today, that would be the best. I cannot believe it. Did you see the Nashville jersey? You mean, no. You mean Smashville? Right now, look up Nashville Stadium Series jersey, and we'll see when Evan sees it. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> folks. Uh, here I've already to- seen his thing face <laughs> once today. <laughs> here to talk Red Wings hockey, believe it or not. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, begrudgingly, Ryan Hanna. Anxiously watching Evan's face, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. I haven't found it yet. Oh, God. This guy doesn't know how to do it. Just go to Twitter and type Smashville. It will come up. Uh, On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about the Detroit Red Wings um, win over the Seattle Kraken. Historic win, you might call it. Uh, We'll be reviewing the game. Uh, Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider. I'm sure there's thoughts on Rasmussen, Zadina, and everyone else in between. Uh, How is it taking you this long? Are you good, man? I literally typed what you told me and nothing came Dude, up. Dude, this is absolutely... So I'm un- on their Twitter now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like... It looks like a drunk version of how Sweden would maybe do their jerseys. <laughs> like, like, like blackout drunk. Someone's already made a Photoshop where it says Smash Mouth instead of Smash Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which, whoever made that, I will pay money for that jersey. I am not kidding. Yeah, if Nashville wore those actual jerseys, pick whatever player on the team, I'll buy a jersey. 
I hadn't seen them yet. Actually, no. If they make that jersey, I will buy one with All-Star 69 on the back. <laughs> okay, seriously, if you're a listener whoever made that, please. <laughs> We'll pay We'll pay a premium. Uh, anyhow, uh, we'll be talking about all those things that I mentioned. Of course, Tyler Bertuzzi didn't play in that game. He was out uh, on COVID protocol. So we'll address that as Evan smirks at me while we do that. Uh, and then we'll be talking about some league news, including the Jack Hughes contract, including everything that happened in Montreal two hours after we finished recording on Sunday, uh, including uh, Lemieux biting someone and getting thrown out of the game for the second time in NHL history, and including a lot more. It was, there was a lot of content for a midweek episode, like a lot. Yeah. Is, be- there, is there a reason why Nashville would want to wish harm on Villy Leno? Their front of their jersey says smash Villy. Oh, oh, God. You really feel good about that one? Yeah. Honestly, I'm a little upset I didn't think of it first. <laughs> Screw both of you. <laughs> now to the Twitter comments. <laughs> we, Wheeler had a really good one about that. Oh, God. Before we get into this, whatever this is, whatever this is that we do twice a week, uh, I want to talk to everyone about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it's an organization we're very, very, very proud to uh, partner with. Um, in the spirit of Giving Tuesday that has just passed, uh, I would like to announce the final numbers uh, for all those donations that came in. Nearly $5,500 was raised in a single night uh, through your ticket purchases uh, from the Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA event that happened on November 13th, and also the Wings Money on the Board special event. So that's a season-long campaign, but we ran a one-night special event uh, for Wings Money on the Board for November 13th as well. So the combination of ticket sales uh, and the play and donations through Wings Money on the Board brought us to 5500 bucks. Buckaroos in one single night. That's uh, wild. Our goal this season over the whole year is to reach $20,000 uh, donated, and you crushed a quarter of that in a single evening. And we can't say thank you enough uh, for your support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, and they just did a lot of incredible work with the um, celebrity roaster Brett Hall in the silent auction. They raised hundreds of thousands of dollars through that. So uh, to learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Um, Ken Daniels uh, appreciates it a lot. He wanted me that to convey, wanted me to convey that to all of you. Someone commented, since they mentioned that it's made from recycled materials, someone said, is it too late to recycle these back into bottles? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I all love right. the internet. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings. In the first ever, people are going to get sick of this, cephalopod bowl. So the alley octopus versus the kraken. And yes, I know that kraken are historically portrayed as octopi, but for the sake of... Uh, NHL jurisdiction, I'll be referring to them as squid. Big old mythical squid. Uh, they won that game after their traditional third period blown lead, but the Red Wings prevailed in a shootout uh, 4-3 over the Seattle Kraken. So Al reigns supreme and uh, the historic first victory over Seattle. And which reminded me, Detroit was one of the first teams to put Vegas in their place at home or in Vegas. The Red Wings were the first team to beat Vegas, I'm pretty sure. And the last team to lose in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's that. So, the Red Wings and historic achievements against expansion teams. But anyways, this game. Overall thoughts. Um, the Kraken are bad. The Red Wings weren't great. But the Red Wings were less bad, so they got the win. That's the- I know that's in-depth analysis there, but that game was not what you would call a barn burner. 
the start of the last few games, if I'm recalling correctly, has been you would you wouldn't have realized if you missed most of the first period, to say the least. Yeah, it seems to be a very prevalent theme. After losing so much hockey due to the pandemic and then the shitty scheduling that affected the teams that weren't like a bubble team or whatever, I don't complain about boring hockey anymore. I don't. I never say I can't wait for the season to be over. That's a personal rule. I just know how much it sucked. It sucked for us. sucked for the show. But it sucked personally to not have Red Wings hockey. I logged onto Twitter and Brad was like, oh, my God, this is so boring. This game stinks. (laughs) (laughs) But you were right. It was a very boring game. It was. It was. It got better as it went on. Um, the highlight of the first period. <laughs> Here we go. You ready, Evan? I'm very excited. Was the the Lucas Raymond goal that that stood and nothing unfortunate happened after. It was a bad angle shot. Great goal for Lucas Raymond. And then we all went on with our night peacefully and happily. I'm uh, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. It was a good challenge and the correct call. It was the right call. I'm not going to argue the call. It was clearly offside by about three inches, but clear as day. Don't hate the call. Hate the rule. God, if you can't pick it up with the naked eye, it's fine. It didn't impact the play. My opinion is that on hair splitting calls, you are correct. And if you can't pick it up with the naked eye, you're correct. I think... The ref made a mistake on that one, slash maybe the lines are calling them super generous to let the play play out because they know the offside review exists. I think that one should have been called in real time. It could have been. Uh, Although the one thing, and I know Ken Daniels has actually been championing this for a while, and I I fully agree with him. Offside should be once your skate touches or once the puck touches the blue, you're in the zone. 100,000%. Yeah. So even if your skate's over the blue line, but the puck's touching blue, it should be onside. I don't know why that's not the rule. It seems like a very obvious fix because A, for plays like you just mentioned, it does give the referee that bit of buffer to make the call a touch easier. Um, you know, well, just to make their jobs easier, who's anti making anybody's job easier. Um, and B yeah, we'll have less plays like that where a perfectly good goal is called off the board for like, had Raymond been on side there, let's say he holds onto that puck for an extra half a second and makes that pass. And it's on side. Does that affect change the play at all? Nothing. No, not a damn thing. The spirit of the play, everything holds. Yeah. So that again, that's just kind of why I hate Everything about offside review and, like I said, a little bit of the way offside is set up. It's nice they switched it to have the plane this year, but that actually hasn't come into effect nearly as much as we thought it would or been relevant nearly as much as we thought it would. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was the right call. Seattle made the correct challenge, and when they went to review, they made the correct determination. That rule is just obnoxiously stupid. I think think the happy middle ground here is that you preserve a way for the challenge to exist with the penalty if you get it wrong. I think that's good. And I didn't know if I would like that at first, but I, I agree that's good. But yeah, those small tweaks like what you just mentioned, like what they did previously with adjusting the way the plane works, um, I think that all makes sense. And add some in HD, like true HD, not 720p, add like 8K. I don't care what you have to do. Put the cameras in the boards and make sure the cameras in every rank are able to pick it up so there's no question about it. Something that Brad has said that I felt was stupid and arbitrary, everything, but something that Brad said that I felt was stupid and arbitrary relevant to this was if you can't make the determination in 60 seconds, then you let it stand as it was called. 
And I agree with that now, which means upgrade your equipment where it's so freaking clear that there is absolutely no way unless you get mad at the painters who painted the line under the ice, or I think they use like strips or whatever it is under there now. Just make it so there's no question about it. But I mean, 30, 32 teams, they can't even get everyone to have the same COVID testing resources. So that's a far cry. I'm just shouting at the clouds at this point. Either way, really nice goal by a promising player was wiped off the board because of uh, something that happened that didn't impact the play. Like, I get what they're trying to do, but oh, yeah. it's, it's just, it's bad. Shame that Lucas Raymond didn't score his 10th goal of the season there. Anyways, later in the game, Lucas Raymond scores his uh, 10th goal of the season. <laughs> I'm skipping ahead a little bit. On a much nicer goal. Yeah, that was, that was it woke everyone up. <laughs> what, was the, what was the goal call before they were talking about Ryan Spruill and Ken Daniels is like, uh, yeah, he's playing in China. Raymond score! <laughs> that has to be the most random jump of topics. That's pretty much how most of that game was going. And nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. Oh, someone scored! Yeah. Yeah, because like everything that game felt like it came out of nowhere. Outside of the one power, the two power play goals. Yeah, so uh, the first goal was uh, Robbie Fabry on the power play from Larkin and Suter. Um, Seattle ended up taking the lead. Nemesnikov scored his 99th career goal. Vlad Nemesnikov loves being a Detroit Red Wing. Oh, yeah. He does the logo tug on the jersey often, and it just warms your heart. This guy loves being here. That that sucks. <laughs> you're so you're ruthless. That's going to make it way harder when they to tell him when they trade him. <laughs> he's out of line, but he's correct. <laughs> yeah, that was that's that, that was the underlying point here is that he's prime candidate to move if a team wants to pay the price. And the Red Wings are going to need more forward roster spots in the future. So if you get someone offering enough for Vlad Nemesnikov in the future, uh, that's going to suck. Well, you can just sign back in Detroit next year. Yep. Always could. Not that Vlad, I think, is going to get a super premium return at the deadline to the point where you have to trade him. No. So, yeah, we've talked about this before. The Red Wings are no longer sell absolutely everything. They're sell for the right price, but don't go and uh, just dump. Sell for a top two round pick or whatever. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then the, sorry, what was the next? Yeah, that was the Vladimir Mestrikov goal. And then Lucas Raymond had his turnaround spinning shot. Spinorama. How does that count as a spinorama? He kind of spun around and picked up picked up the puck partway through it. It was one motion in which he released the shot. That's a spinorama. Yeah, all right. Well, walk us through the goal. Um, Larkin took a point shot, hit the defenseman. Raymond picked it up, spun around, and scored. Like there, it was it was a nothing play that Raymond turned into something. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, which is going to be a large topic that we're going to get into when we're done talking about the games um, that I want to break down. But yeah, it was an absolute run-of-the-mill, nothing's-going-on-here type offensive. Um, I don't even want to call it a cycle. It really wasn't that. That Raymond just happened to be in the right spot, right time, and not a great spot, and made something happen. Yeah, we'll get to what I your point here is, I think, salient, and we'll get to it, but it was... Yeah, I want to save that point for the bigger conversation. And that was Larkin's second assist, and that was Sider's second assist of the game, and that was Raymond's 10th goal of the season. And just, it does not end with these Red Wings rookies. They are continuing to dominate and continuing to run the show. And even with Trevor Zegras 
being you know the ringmaster at a circus every single night it seems for anaheim it is undisputed in my mind raymond insider one and two and calder trophy voting absolutely it's and it's not even us saying that you read any prominent outlet that covers the nhl Mm -hmm. it's unanimous i have not seen one person one reputable outlet talk in any other context it's raymond insider and then Zegris and Drysdale and Bunting and whoever are making it interesting, mm-hmm. but it's theirs to lose. Speaking of cider, is it just because he's giant that he keeps taking those pucks to the absolute worst spot in the knee and then having to go down in pain and come back and play like a 90 second shift right after? I mean, when you're a defense, a good defenseman, it means you're going to be in the proper lanes a lot, which means when you're in the proper lane, you're going to get hit with a puck every once in a while. Maybe don't turn your knee, Mo. Well, <laughs> take it to the cap of the shin guard, not the soft foam part on the inside. I'm in favor of getting him those oversized shin guard, like caps the size of Evan's head. Just like stupid, dummy, thick shin He doesn't shin need pads. to bend his knees, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, you guys call them shin guards, not shin pads, right? I can go either way. Uh, yeah, I'm indifferent. I call them shin, shin, shin pads. pads. Yeah, shin, shin pads. pads feels right. I used to call them knee pads. Ew. Yeah. I well, what, did the, what was happening with the rest of your lower leg? Well, he was just out there in those like rollerblading. Like, he had volleyball guards. ones on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of my playing career, I did until I started playing competitive hockey and I took my first puck to the shin. And then I started wearing <laughs> shin pads. Um, the game went to overtime where the Zadina was Zadina Hronik Nemesnikov? Yes. Uh, they had essentially the best chance. The and- only chance. That was stopped by the post. The only chance by the Red Wings. And then in the shootout, uh, Larkin scored and Adam Ernie scored the game winner. So ultimately Detroit prevailed. Because Lucas Raymond hit the post. It just couldn't be that that magical of a game. You heard it too. You heard the ping and you're like, oh, God. He could. It would have been the win too. Ah, well. Can't win them all. Um, well, you can, just not that way. All right. Thoughts on Fabry went up to the first line with Bertuzzi being out. Thoughts on Zadina back on the second line? Uh, really slow start to the game. Got benched for, I think that one back pass he gave to Cider that he missed on, uh, which we'll talk about. And then had a really strong finish to the game and generated the Red Wings' only chance in overtime, the literal only chance. I, yeah, it wasn't Zadina's best game, but I mean, he did have that breakaway where he almost finished an unreal deke and Grubauer made a hell of a save, which, you know, feels very on brand for Zadina these days. Um, but yeah, I don't think that was a deke where it's like, there's no way he should have saved that. No, no, it's, but that's a deke. I'd say about 50% of the time he scores, depending on who's in that. It just, it was so much more highlighted because you know, that would have been an amazing goal for him. To have. No, yeah. if, if he's going in on aggress on a goalie who plays a little more aggressively, then Grubauer, that's probably a goal because he's got that space because the goal is either going to be further out or bite on the first move a little harder. The guys like Grubauer who are a little calmer in the net, they're not going to overcommit and thus take away the yeah. lower part of the net like Grubauer did. So that is a little bit on Zadina. Hey, this is why you have scouting reports, but eh, whatever. It was cool. He tried it. Didn't finish it. I... uh I was talking to someone and they were, they think I'm being too hard on Philip Zadina and that might be true. And they're, they were saying it's kind of unwarranted and unjustified for Zadina to be down on the fourth line. And what I framed it as is this Philip Zadina has way more responsibility to be good 
not just good, great on this team than Carter Rowney does, than Michael Rasmussen does, than a lot of these guys who are in the bottom six do. Philip Sedina, by all rights, should be in conversation on any given night to say that he was Detroit's best player, or at least some nights, or he was one of Detroit's best players. I agree with what we've been saying, which is that other than some key parts of the game, which is putting pucks in the net, Sedina has played quite well, and he's done a lot of things in terms of growth and development of his 200-foot game that Jeff Blaschel and the team have asked him to do. He's done that. But I don't necessarily disagree with pushing on him harder because you know he can be a lot better and should be a lot better. I was happy to see him come back up to the second line. I don't want to see too much fourth line business. But in all, I don't mind a little bit of a firmer hand with Zadina with the caveat that you need you need to evaluate it player by player. Not every player is going to respond the same. And we've seen players break under that pressure You've seen, you saw it under Mike Babcock quite a bit, actually. They hated how universally firm he was. So that's my soapbox. Yeah. So uh, from a broader picture, the one thing you said was correct, but from within a locker room, it, it was actually the opposite. Whereas Zadina should be held to a different standard than the rest of the team. Because he was a sixth overall pick and we're going to look from the outside and go, yeah, of course. The guys in the locker room don't view it that way once you know the old adage once you're drafted everything goes out the damn window you the first round pick and the seventh round pick are on equal footing to make the team perform prove their spot yada 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 so when you have a guy like Zadina who's busting his ass playing well even if he's not finishing his like you would be amazed the things on the ice teammates will notice they pick up every detail um they know what he's doing out there and to see him get demoted over guys who are very obviously weaker and playing worse and probably have a little less effort stuff like that doesn't go unnoticed by the by his teammates and some guys won't care because they'll be like hey more opportunity for me yeah i don't get it but great other guys will go okay what's what's the standard here i'm further down the lineup than this guy so if i sneeze funny am i going to grand rapids like what's what's the standard here what's the protocol you don't want the team to be on different pages, right? And and then Zadina himself, he knows what his teammates are doing, what they're playing. He goes, we're going to talk about him later, so I might as well pick on him now. Philip Zadina is watching Michael Rasmussen. He gets the mode and Rasmussen doesn't. He, he'll be like, what in the hell are you watching? Why am I getting demoted to the fourth line when this guy, who is also drafted in the top 10, so that's not even an argument, is getting rewarded with time and overtime and power play time and all of this when he's arguably the worst player on the team. Like that stuff will be noticed. So I get what you're saying, but it's a very fine line to walk. And I'm okay with sending him, demoting a guy for a couple games to send a message, no matter how skilled he is, yada, yada, yada. I still stand by this ain't it. Some points to your favor. When you said Zadina's watching Michael Rasmussen, I was like, well, Zadina plays more than Michael Rasmussen. No, he doesn't. Michael Rasmussen averages 40 or about 35 seconds more a game right now. Yeah. Um, granted, Michael Rasmussen plays a lot more than PK, but there's that. Um, additionally, someone else who we're not, <laughs> we're going to talk about him shortly, but aside from the COVID stuff, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi in his last 10 games has three points, all of them assists, none of them goals. You have to go back to November 7th versus Vegas where he had either a goal or a multi-point game. And 
there's obviously the context here of he can't play right now. He's out on COVID, so he didn't play against Seattle. But still, his last 10 games, he hasn't been good. Granted, he's still third, I'm pretty sure, in, De- in points for Detroit. So he had a much better start this season. I'm not saying Tyler Bertuzzi's done or has been as stymied offensively as Philip Zadina has. Not even remotely. Bertuzzi, well, I sung his praises, I think, last episode. But I think you have a point here, Brad, that's worth making is that and it, it kind of lends to what I was saying. You need to be careful with how much you're drilling into him. I don't want to see him turn into a whipping boy. And I don't mean in the public in the in public opinion, because that's already happening. I'm sure Evan sees it every time he goes to the Twitter comments. What pretty much, yeah. But and, and that's fine. People are allowed to have their opinions on Zadina that are different than mine or Brad's or Evan's, but the talent is there. No one can deny that the talent is there. The effort's there. The execution is there. It's just uh, finish. Execution. He makes oh, plays happen in the offensive zone. He does. They don't go in the net. I think finish is finish to execution. Yeah, fair enough. But he he is the driver on that line. He is the guy who is the safety valve when everything gets out of control and he can make a skilled play to calm everything down and open up a lane or to just maintain possession further. Even the play he got benched for. I challenge anybody who watches that play, what did he do wrong there other than he just misfired on the pass? He was skating at an angle where he didn't have a good view up ice. He had a he had some pressure coming on him. If he skates that puck across his own blue line and coughs it up, he's getting stapled to the press box for a couple of games because that's a play you don't make in the NHL. So he went back to the D. Now, he going to the accuracy issues, he said, he missed Sider by a good five feet. So I don't know what the hell he was doing there. <laughs> but there was no pressure deep in the zone when he did that. Osterley picked the puck up with all the room in the world and all the time in the world and then blew a tire and it led to a Seattle goal. If Osterley doesn't blow a tire, nobody, everybody forgets that play 10 seconds after it happens. It's a nothing play. He's just like, I got the puck. I don't like what I have in front of me. Back to the D, let's regroup. It's something the Red Wings do all the time. Like I've talked about, they actually regroup too much for the style of hockey they're trying to play. Um, although that's probably the style they should be playing, but either way. Um, so, and then he gets benched for that. I'm like, that's not it. Yeah, I understand it ended up in a goal and I understand that he missed the pass pretty significantly, but the actual concept of the play and what he was trying to do there, there was nothing wrong with it. I want to jump over the, the Phillips Zadina conversation will never end. And that's fine. We're going to continue to talk about it. scoring some damn goals. I'm upset that neither the breakaway or overtime panned out. But Michael Rasmussen. I get enough hate, man. <laughs> Michael Rasmussen has a place on this team. I don't know. I know. I think I, I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that he has a place on this team. I think he has so much he needs to work on and the team has to work on with him. And I'm not saying to turn him into an offensive producer. He's not. He's just not that guy. Pal. That's <laughs> not who he's waiting for that. He's it's not who he's gonna be. And you know, I, I've been on this soapbox before. If he's gonna generate offense in the NHL, it needs to be through his size and it needs to be dirty goals, which count all the same. It needs to be driving the net and using his physical dominance which he just doesn't have because he's losing puck battles to guys who are significantly smaller than him there's the size of like one and a half brads like that's tiny 
<laughs> so Yanni Gord is almost my exact height and weight and yeah. comfortably beat Michael Rasmussen in a board battle where Michael Rasmussen started with possession and almost led to the overtime winner for Seattle. I think Rasmussen cannot be relied on or expected to contribute offensively with any consistency. And I'm not saying like from fans. Yes, that that's true. But I mean, the, the way he's deployed, it should not be in situations where that's what you need. I think his defensive output, those situations excluded, is good. Like he's effective defensively. He's developed in that sense. He's the furthest thing from a liability defensively outside of those situations. I'm not saying this year is a write-off, but they we need to stop pretending that Michael Rasmussen is going to net 20 goals or even 10 goals or whatever it is, or or be a play driver offensively or really keep an offensive play going. But I don't think it's so bad where he doesn't have a place on this team as it stands. He's not making a lot of money. He's got good defensive impacts. He's good on the PK or whatever. Yeah, I, I the Red Wings PK is tragic. I don't care who's on it. It's not nothing about it. Is that's good. fair. That's fair. I'm just saying, keep him on the fourth line, maybe third. Not a ton of minutes. That's what Michael Rasmussen should be on this team. What he's not, Blashill's deploying him like he's Luke Glendening out there, which he's not. It's sad as that is to say. Uh, so I'm gonna, I may pick apart one of your points. I may not, depending on your opinion on the following statement. Does transitioning the puck out of your own zone count as defensive play and defensive metrics? Um, there's it's a bit of a loaded question, but I'll say yeah in the in the bigger scheme of things. Then I would say he's not a good defensive player because he. You're right. He's big. He shuts down lanes well. Uh, he does use his reach effectively, not to get to the puck, but to eliminate an option for the other team. So if they want to skate up the boards or they want to cut to the middle or they want to open this passing lane, he is good at taking that away. Um, He doesn't ever actually get the puck back. And in the rare instances where he does have the puck in his um, own zone, it goes nowhere. It's either glassing out or a turnover. Um, So it's great that he is good at taking away all of the things I just mentioned but it doesn't matter when all he's setting up is just a regroup for the other team to come back and get another chance. It's Michael Rasmussen is a living embodiment of the prevent defense. We hate when the Red Wings have a third period lead because that's all he can do. It's like Chris Russell getting raked over the coals because yeah, he's got the shot blocking record now, but that all that tells us is that there's a lot of shots against while he's on the ice. Yeah. Michael Rasmussen is kind of the same thing. He may not have the shot block, uh, shot block numbers, but when he's on the ice, he is spending a hell of a lot of time in his own zone. I'm just not interested in, you know, beating a guy down and saying he shouldn't be on this team because all he's good at is defense. Because I think there is a place on the team. Not, but like, not so a that's the point one. I'm saying is, is he actually good at defense? <laughs> yes. If you, if you limit shot chances and all the things I laid out that he does well in his own zone, it doesn't matter if you get stuck there all the time. Right. <laughs> That's fair. And the best defense is a good offense, et cetera, et cetera. That's very true. But, and, you know, transitioning the puck out of your own zone, very important. I agree. A hundred percent. If everyone could do that all the way down your fourth line, everyone would be doing that. But we, there's just not enough guys who can do it. I'm just saying if Michael Rasmussen was playing two thirds of the time he is right now and being deployed only for his actual development and on days where they had injury or days where like the game's out of hand one way or another, that's where you give him some like offensive zone starts or power play time or whatever. It would be so much better for him 
and for this team right now. Oh, no arguments there. He's he's a eight minute a night guy on the fourth line at best. At best, I'm not entirely convinced watching him that you can't just pluck anybody out of Grand Rapids to deploy him in his role, and they would do any worse. Chase Pearson, for example, plays a similar style of game. Um, but it's just infuriating because there are things in the offensive zone he is good at when he is skating well drops his shoulder and drives to the net he yep. might be the best at that on the team yep he does that maybe once every three games that's what they need to work on with him get him with i don't know who the new gary roberts is or if it's still gary roberts pay him whatever he needs and get michael rasmussen in with him he's only 22 years old he needs to add 30 pounds this offseason if that's physically possible he lose again i can't understate this he had the puck in overtime he had possession. He was pressured into a board battle by five foot nine, 175 pound Yanni Gord, and he lost that puck battle comfortably. And then Yanni Gord walked in and almost on a basically a breakaway and almost ended the game. That your six foot six defensive center should never, ever, ever in the history of hockey lose a board battle to someone 5'9", sub 200. That should never goddamn happen. And it happens with him every time. It is, I pointed it out at the beginning of the season. I'm going to go, wow, he has lost a lot of these. I feel like he's doing it on purpose at this point because- (laughs) He's doing it to make you mad. The number of, you'd think he'd win at least 20% of them. It is shockingly close to 100%. Like, if it is a true 50-50 puck battle where he doesn't get to the puck three seconds before the other guy, he loses it. And it's it's a shame because, like I said, driving the net, he's good at that. He can beat guys wide. His skating is just good enough to get that step, and his reach is so good that when he does get that angle, you can't touch him on it. And he ha- we've seen him be aggressive just... I'm going to get this to the front of the net and try jamming it in. And even if he doesn't jam it in, it usually creates chaos in the crease, which is always a positive thing to do because even if he doesn't jam it in, if Nemesnikov or Ernie, whoever's sitting by jams it in, good. That's still Rasmussen's play. Like I said, maybe once every three games. We've seen his hand-eye coordination in junior. He got his stick on Mm -hmm. everything when he was in front of the net. Have not seen that at all in the NHL. In junior, any rebound that was within five feet of him, was in the back of the net. Have not seen any of that in the NHL. And I think it is strength. He, I, he just I'm, loses every one of those those battles. He gets beat for positioning, so he's not in a good position to tip the puck. Any rebound, he's either there too slowly or the defenseman just has more strength on his stick than he does and clears it. I mean, Nemesnikov's goal was good. Rasmussen was the guy in front causing the shit that screwed up Grubauer that allowed Nemesnikov to put the rebound in. Why Why do we see that once every five games, every three games, whatever it is? He can do it. There, don't get me wrong. He is still a black hole offensively in a lot of ways. Playmaking doesn't exist. Shot doesn't exist. Hands do not exist. He is horrible at all of those things. But you can still be effective. You know who else was bad at all that stuff? Holmstrom. I know we made that reference when he was drafted. But he still turned into a hell of a player because he won every battle he was ever in. He got to every puck that was shot from the point. Rasmussen has all the tools to be able to do that, and it's shocking how little he does it. The point you made about strength to me is that's it, right? You can unlock so much of what he was able to do in junior 
if you just get that strength back. And yes, he's not going to have the strength differential that he did when he was playing against Mies out there in junior, but he he is huge. He's a massive guy, and he can use his strength to his ability to unlock a lot of what you just said, Brad. And I don't think it needs to be night in, night out. And I don't think we need to compare it to Thomas Holmstrom, but I think that's a good like archetype to to. I'm just using Holmstrom saying Holmstrom because had fans a piss poor shot, had absolutely no stick handling ability, and was not a playmaker, and still carved out a successful NHL career. I remember one of Holmstrom's goals very specifically, and he shot it from like further than the hash marks. And I remember that goal specifically because it was insane that he shot it from further than the hash. That marks. That might have been the only one he had in his entire career. And he mod- he he played to what he could do. And that's what he needs to do. And that's what the Red Wings need to do with him. I am not interested in the Red Wings giving up on Michael Rasmussen. I'm not interested in giving him away for nothing. He's 22. I think there's there's physical talent there. It just needs to be unlocked. The dirty goals that Brad just described count the exact same as lucas raymond's they do you want to know the best part about your your whole rant there the small burp that evan let out partway through it (laughs) i burped yeah you did a little burp or you did a little like breathing thing it's nice for you to do because sometimes i forget you're alive i don't remember doing that your thoughts on michael rasmussen evan uh it's the same as what i've always said like he shouldn't be that big and that weak and I can't believe how little offense he produces. I think I can't remember who they were playing with against, but he went down the ice on a three on two, stick handled the puck across the blue line, stopped, lost it. The other team went the other way back and almost scored to tie the game. Oh, it was an empty net, by the way, <laughs> as well. Yeah. He, he was looking oh. to pass it on an empty net and he just got caught up in his own tracks turned it over and the other team almost went down and scored like it's just the mistakes when they happen are right in front of your face i missed two empty nuts easy easy empty netters against boston god um anyways that that is the confidence issue those are the ones if he's even got like 50 percent of his confidence there one of those is going in shelter shelter him for his sake for his sake because yeah. that's going to break him that's what's going to ruin any opportunity to salvage a viable bottom six player here so, some of it is on him like hey you do got to dig yourself out of your own hole eventually but yeah he's playing way too big a role for what he's ready to handle right now and that's on blast shell that's not on rasmussen like michael rasmussen should never step he is the exact type of player you never want in a three-on-three situation Ever. There's no excuse. But he had to go out there and do it. And he had to try because the coach told him to. And no player is going to sit on the bench and go, you want me to go in overtime? Nah, I'm good. No, like, of course he's going to try. It was it was the argument with Glenn Denning and Helm last year. We don't hate those guys. They were just being played improperly. Uh, same thing's happening now. I'm going to jump in here to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. They're a sponsor that gives us Red Wings fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use. They have fantastic odds on different betting markets, even Evan with his golf, giving you more action every game day. Player props, futures, basically whatever you're looking for, FanDuel does have that option for you. Uh, There's live betting that's easy to place 
quickly uh, during a game if you see a trend that you like. Uh, they have multi-game parlays and same game, par- uh, same game parlays as well with huge payouts on small bets. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to a grand back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 today and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, out with <laughs> hell of a transition. Uh, out talking on- about gambling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap, folks. That is that's the best joke in the history of this podcast. It'll never it's been be a great seven and six and a half years. <laughs> Uh, Evan has peaked and we always said when Evan peaks, the whole show's downhill from here. Uh, yeah. Tyler Bertuzzi announced shortly before the game, um, out with COVID protocol or out on COVID protocol. And, uh, upon, I think it was media availability after the game, Blashill said, uh, Tyler's feeling fine, thankfully. Um, but is, I think it was Max who first tweeted and said, uh, he'll be out for 10 days, which means four more games and a total of five games missed. So... I'm going to get the, the you know, ugly conversation out of the way first that I'm sure the comments that I won't read are going to be terrible. Um, yes, Tyler Bertuzzi is the last unvaccinated player in the NHL. Uh, no, he's not the only player to contract COVID. Every, like a lot of other vaccinated players have gotten COVID. Teams have, you know, Ottawa, the Islanders, teams have been put on pause. There have been breakthrough cases and outbreaks. These guys are traveling from city to city. Going to restaurants, doing whatever, you know, seeing 30 different guys, whatever, every other night. Um, that's all true. So that's a fair point. Uh, yes, Tyler Bertuzzi was at greater risk by not being unvaccinated with our understanding that we don't know anything else about his medical situation. So I'm not really going to comment further on that. These are the facts. Bert, Bert is out for 10 days, four more games. This is a team that's gone one and three without Bertuzzi to date. He's already missing all the Canadian games, and now he's missing five games uh, on top of that. So 14 games total, I think, on the season. Minimum we're missing, Bert. Well, the positive and negative of this is <laughs> we weren't – oh, I'm going, thankfully, in a less controversial way. Still not great, but the posi- the negative is he can't play for five games because the games actually matter. I don't think anybody was super concerned at the beginning of the season because there were no expectations for this team. And if Tyler had to miss 9 to 15 games to 20 games. Don't tell me you're playing with your phone case right now. It <laughs> fell off. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take the two pieces off. <laughs> and, and hand it to Ryan again. <laughs> we'll do this again. We'll put it back. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I don't think there, there was no expectations for this team at this point in the season. So if Bertuzzi missed, 10 15 games i don't think anybody was expecting him to miss that this many but whatever 
that it would be, oh, no big deal. Better chance in the lottery. Shit happens. Um, but this is a team flirting with a playoff spot right now. Yeah. So they're in a wild card spot. Like they, points they, percentage be damned, they are in a wild card spot. Hey, right you now. can only play the games that you have, and they've won more than they've lost. So there's teams in a playoff spot. The players know that. Coaches know that. Management knows that. Not having Tyler Bertuzzi is not going to help that. So the players know that. The coaches know that. Management knows that. So nobody's going to be happy about this. They are all going to be irritated whether or not they agree with his stance or not. Because when it comes down to it, hockey players are competitive. It's all about winning. It's all about the W. And now that's harder for the next four games. They got out of the first game barely in a shootout against a bad team. But they got the win. Okay, good. First bullet dodge. Now you got four more to go. So it's it sucks. And again, it doesn't even matter what side of the argument you are on. It's a hindrance to the team. And they're going to know that. It, not yet. That, that's what it boils down to is not having Tyler Bertuzzi is the second worst part of it. The first worst part is, you know, at for a second, you're like, you want to make sure Bert's okay. And it, again, happy that he, to hear that he is. Um I I'm gonna maintain I don't like I don't like speculating on what you know his teammates or anything think. Tyler Bertuzzi is very obviously one of the most liked guys in that dressing room. He's one of the most popular players on the team, just in general, and with his teammates. Like he is the happiest person for his teammates when they do well. And I don't want any of that to get lost in this conversation. But yeah, let's look at the bare bones of this. This is now 14 games this year where Bert's not there, and for the team. That sucks for the product on the ice. That sucks for Lucas Raymond's development. That sucks. And for Bert, that sucks, man. He's having a great year. The slump notwithstanding, like he's having a great year and this is important for Bert to have a full season and a good season. So yes, priority one is that he gets healthy and is able to do what he needs to do to get back on the ice. But, you know, having to face the Islanders, the Predators, the Blues and the Avalanche over the next however many days. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, the Islanders are bad, at least. Um. It's unfortunate. Again, a very a point here that's going to be raised, and so I want to raise it now. Is uh, Danny DeKaiser has been missing how many games because of COVID protocol too, right? So that's not really hindrance. <laughs> they're on a four game win streak, and he's been gone for four games. Weird. Yeah, that can't be a coincidence. <laughs> the whole theme of this is, you know, uh, we. Uh, I'm sure it's it's being taken care of. You don't have to look far online to find the discourse. Uh, we are not having that discourse today. Of of actually, on that note, I'm a little piece of advice for every single one of you listening right now. Just don't read the comments. <laughs> Just don't stay away from it. We're gonna stay away from it. We recommend all of you are gonna, you stay away from it. Just. Just don't. It's it's for your own good. I very much like how it played out on game day. And this was definitely like a timing thing. Like, that's just how the news was released. But it was like from the Red Wings account. Like, okay, pregame, whatever, all the lead up stuff, some videos, the lineup. Bertuzzi's out with COVID-19. All right, boys, let's go. And then like the walk out of the dressing room video, like immediately after. I'm like, that's the sh- strategy right there. Just post, close your eyes. I'm out of here. <laughs> It's it was a good call. I, I I sent out one joke gif about it and then avoided it like anything. Um very, very short discussion here. I do think the the point I'm getting to with Bertuzzi out for five games is it does more to expose what we've talked about today and on previous podcasts. This Red Wings team has some really great players, Larkin, Bertuzzi, 
um, Cider, Raymond, like these guys are absolutely lighting it up. But the moment that is shaken up, this team is exposed for what they still truly are. And it's okay, but it's not a truly great team. No, and that was kind of the bigger topic that I was alluding to earlier. We're somewhere between 25 and 35% of the way into the season. So I, I think finally I've got a really good grip on what this team is because they're 12, 9, and 3. I think or 12, nine and two, something like that. They're over 500. They're overachieving. We're happy. I'm happy. We're all happy about this. My conclusion on what this team is overall is they're still bad and they still have too many flaws and there's still a huge problem with coaching. And for the most part, 90% of this team feels pretty much where we did last year and even a little bit the year before. Um, the bottom of the lineup gets exposed often and horribly. Um, the coaching decisions are frequently mystifying and sometimes just plain wrong. Um, the prevent defense in the third period is still a problem. They're still playing the same crappy chip and chase system for 75% of the game. Um, this team feels very much the same, but there's one key difference. There's actual top end talent on this team now i thought it was that evan brings his laptop to the podcast now yeah <laughs> that's that's why we have talent he's done the scouting for them he does he's, he's watching game tape of uh ivan Marashnichenko right now and he's gonna report to stevie later evan is either looking at shingle colors or actually watching game tape there is no in between <laughs> there's legitimately no in between with it's him. your fault for the the exterior yeah searches yeah. we're reciting my house right now anyways go ahead brad sorry so the difference, why the Red Wings are 12 and nine this year, when if we go game by game, how many times they've outplayed a team, they should probably like be like six and 14 right now is because Raymond and Larkin and Cider and Nedeljkovic are good enough to carry this team. This is what the Red Wings have been lacking since Datsuk and Zetterberg retired. These are true top of the lineup players game changers uh, the blasha loves to use the word elite even though for the last five years that word hasn't been relevant in detroit it's not his fault <laughs> no i know but the these players are elite and this is what happens the game against seattle last night the red wings don't get me wrong seattle's bad and they played poorly but the red wings also played poorly larkin two points cider two points Raymond, the goal head goal in the third period. Larkin, the OT, uh, a goal in the shootout. This is the difference. The Boston game, the night before. We yeah, didn't we didn't even talk, talk about that. The Boston. Yeah, we didn't even talk. There's not much to talk about. That was one of the worst games the Red Wings have played all season. They had 16 shots on net. Nedeljkovic sold them that game. Yeah. Because Nedeljkovic looks like a star. 41 saves. He looks like he could be an elite goaltender in this league. This is different. The Red Wings just came off back-to-back games where I would classify both games as they played poorly or in the Boston game, god-awful. They came away with four points. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no reality in the last three or four seasons they walk away from those two games with four points the way they played. That is the fundamental difference on this team this year. And it cannot be understated how important that is because 
The elite talent is what we've been banging this the drum for. This team needs just they need game breakers. I don't care about position. I don't care about handedness. I don't they just need guys who are elite. Now they have two, maybe as many as four. Like Larkin, when he gets with players who can actually play with him, yeah. looks like an entirely different player. We wondered why Larkin had the slump the lot like down seasons the last two seasons. I I think that was just we can now confirm that was just a product of who he was playing with. He and they it's had, hard to be good on a team that's expected to lose every single night. Exactly. And when Bertuzzi was gone for almost all of last season and they traded Mantha and then he got hurt. Like he spent very little time with Mantha and Bertuzzi. Like we talk about that line, but when you actually break down how much they played together, it wasn't that much. Yeah. So this this is what we needed. I'm saying this for two reasons. One don't get too ahead of yourselves on what this team is right now because this team feels a lot like the New Jersey Devils a couple of years ago to me when they went on that improbable playoff run. Just everything went right. A couple guys carried them. Hall had to win an MVP for them to do it. And then they regressed to an awful team the next year. So be careful with this season's projections. But we can absolutely fully buy in to Raymond and Sider. And Nedeljkovic and Larkin, because that's what we needed from this season. And it has exceeded our wildest expectations for what we were going to get out of arguably all four of them this season. The one thing I want to add on to that before I give some, you know, credit to some things from the Boston game is that's exactly what we talked about when we said what we can expect to see from a good season for Detroit. You don't turn into a winning team overnight. There's the stuff on top, the shiny things, the important stuff that you can't be good without, which is everything Brad just said, what Detroit has right now, but you need the depth, you need the foundation, you need that you need to fill in those gaps with strong depth, you need good systems, the team buying into what the coach is putting out there, you need uh, two goaltenders who are showing up, uh, all of these things. And that's still the stuff that that takes time. It takes time. It does not matter how long the coach has been there. You need the personnel first, and then you need to build that out first. So by all rights, we're seeing the right steps for Detroit. Important thing, yeah, I mean, we got on to talk about the Boston game, and there's one more very important story here, which is going to be the title of the episode, which is Raymond Rookie of the Month. But to talk about the Boston game, Philip Zadina, to to mention strong play, created a turnover, picked up a puck that Suter smartly played, beat two defenders out, and finished on the break. So it's there, and that was really good to see for him. Mark Stahl played probably his best game of the season. Alex Nedeljkovic, 41 saves. Mo Sider, October Rookie of the Month. Lucas Raymond, November Rookie of the Month. Alex Nedeljkovic may well be the December rookie of the month when it's announced in January. And he won at the, he won one at the end of last season as well. And he gave himself a hell of a head start this month too. And did I see something that Nadalkovic finished second in the voting for November? He did right <laughs> behind Lucas Raymond. <laughs> like the uh, Tony uh, Ferrari uh, put out a good tweet today. Right now, the Red Wings leading point getter assist goals, safe percentage and wins is all rookies. Every like Raymond leads in goals and points, Sider leads in assists, and Delkovich leads in wins and you know, all the key goalie stats. It's crazy. You if you go over the entire NHL right now, who's the best rookie forward? Well, it's obviously Lucas Raymond. Who's the best rookie defenseman? Mort Sider. Obviously Mo Sider. Who's the best rookie goalie? It's obviously Alex Nadelkovich. That's crazy. 
like they won't finish one, two, three and call their voting because, you know, Zegris and and there's probably going to be a second forward who probably gets in there. But man, to have the top rookie at every position is nuts. The way Nedeljkovic comes in and is now so solid every night where he's, he, he stole that game in Boston. He really did. Oh, yeah. There's no debate. The Detroit was, like I said, awful. And they won. I don't think I don't think that was Boston's best game. I mean, they had 41 shots or 42 shots. Sorry, man. What a position to be in. It, it was it really is at this point like, all right, which rookie on the Red Wings is going to have to like not win it. So last month it, in October, it was Raymond who had a phenomenal month, but Sider just beat him out. And this month it was Nedeljkovic who had a phenomenal month and Raymond just beat him out. And it's probably going to be next month. Nedeljkovic is going to win, but, you know, just beat outsider or whatever it might be. Um, I hope it's Red Wings the whole year, which would be hysterical. It won't. Zegers is going to get in there. Uh, Byram's going to get in there, whatever, whatever it turns out to be. Um, I was really happy to see that Raymond. It, it doesn't it came through. It doesn't mean everything to the players. I'm sure the coaches and the players are just like, ah, whatever. But it's 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 crazy to see Red Wings recognize league wide. League wide. It's crazy to see like national level pundits and commentary and people who have not uttered the name Detroit Red Wings in the past five years now doing like bits on them. And I'm just like, oh man, Red Wings media has not expe- extended beyond a specific sphere in half a decade. And it's wild to see the league and the world now start to pay attention again. Even Gord Miller, one of the more prominent Canadian commentators, had a tweet today along the lines of, forget NHL-wide Calder contenders. How about the race in Detroit? (laughs) It's honestly, like Ned is probably going to finish in the top five here with all things considered with rookie voting. And if Zegers wasn't there, you're looking at someone who might fill out the ballot. And you never know the way the rest of the season is going to shake out, for better or worse. Even if things. even if two of these three guys drop off and have only okay finishes to the rest of the season, it's still a fantastic season. Like um, I said, what we were saying, if Mo Sider hits like 25 points and looks capable, we're happy. If Lucas Raymond hits like, you know, 40 points, that's a phenomenal season. Sider's uh, on pace for 55 and Raymond's on pace for like 75. Like this is nuts. Alex Nedeljkovic has, has a 923 on the Red Wings. On the Six. Red Wings. <laughs> a team who's, like I said, I know their record is 12-9-3. and three. This is not a 12-9-3 and three team. Nedeljkovic is not getting 12-9-3 and three defense. No. <laughs> the Red Wings have actually defensively regressed a little bit. Uh, overall since last year now some of that is a product of being a little more aggressive offensively which i appreciate and i'm happy for but that doesn't make nadelkovich's job any easier no (laughs) anyhow there's been a whole spectrum of emotion today on the red wings you good yeah why what was that did I make a noise? Yeah, you did. You kind of went like, mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was just thinking, I guess. <laughs> you, do a lot, you do a lot of active <laughs> listening at home with Kat, eh? No. <laughs> Inactive listening? <laughs> you ever? You remember that, that gif, that meme of Kobe when Chris Paul's talking to him and he's just. Yeah. Chris, I feel like that. Chris Evan, Rock, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Same yeah, thing. Yeah. But uh, just. I said, listen. yeah, like I knew. Anyways. And just, yeah, that thousand yards there. I feel like that's Evan, like that's 90% how, of the time. I am so much credit to every boss you've ever had who's given you a promotion because there's no way at work your your face displays anything else than what we see. Like, we know you, so we know. But when people, like, are watching YouTube for the first time or they meet you for the first time, they're like, is he 
technically alive and we're <laughs> technically yeah. i suppose yeah. i am yeah we do have to go to the doctor every two weeks just to make sure that they're we just, haven't been weekend at bernie's him they're just reaching out and checking for a pulse <laughs> <laughs> anyways it's uh, been a long week i'd say we wouldn't change a thing about you but well it's too late now it's far too late we now. would change his hot tub credentials for one yeah um very limited let's not let's save the jack hughes contract conversation for another day because i think that's going to be getting into commentary on red wings rookie conversation but um montreal shake up over there uh melanby resigned because he was promised either president of hockey ops or gm role and they changed their mind so he uh handed in his resignation for assistant gm mark bergevin was fired um and jeff gordon was hired as president of hockey ops uh none of that was wrong decision by any of them um montreal was right to get rid of timmins and bergevin because well it's called space bay they were bad at their jobs um i forget uh oh, i should go back i should have pulled this up before but there's was one tweet just going through bergevin's tenure like oh did the team improve over his tenure no not really uh, but did he leave him in a better spot than he found them uh, also no is that action the fullman yeah yeah did he uh okay but did he at least keep of the high moral ground through his tenure well also no (laughs) so um which was a pretty good summary because i know a lot of canadian media runs the bergevin's defense but he was terrible at his job Uh, one or two good trades doesn't absolve the mess he he created over there and now the president of the owner of the team basically has to come out and say yeah oh we're shaking things up and we're not afraid of a rebuild which hey refreshing honesty I'm uh, impressed that they did it because yeah. to do that months after a cup run is very yeah. difficult to do. Yeah. And then to come out in the press conference and be as transparent and honest as Molson was, does he does deserve credit for that because I was expecting a billion words to mean absolutely nothing. Um, but it is the right course of action Montreal needs to take. Jeff Gorton is the good hire because Montreal has that thing, which I, which I can understand and appreciate. I still think it's a little silly, but about having to have a Francophone general manager. The the lovely loophole they found about hiring Jeff Gordon above that to pull the strings and then they can hire whoever they want to act as GM and work in tandem with Gordon in all likelihood to build the team um, it was a really smart move for the organization. Um, I know I saw a lot of people dumping on Gordon saying, oh, yeah, sure. He rebuilt the Rangers and all he had to do was win two draft lotteries to do it. I mean, we've all been watching the Rangers the last two years. Kako and Lafreniere have done nothing. Kako's turning it on. Turning it on now. But he turned the Rangers around with those guys not panning out. So he could have just not had those picks. And the Rangers are probably still where they are right now. So he he does get credit for turning this team around despite the draft lotteries. Because his lottery picks are, (laughs) over the past two years, have massively underperformed. Um so yeah, I mean he's 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 a great hire, um, and like I said, it's a very very clever loophole to get around the whole must have a francophone GM thing because they can still honor that and still have a guy running the ship who, quite honestly, seems a lot more competent than the rumored GMs that are attached to Montreal right now. If you're going to be in team in Quebec, I think you should have the face of your team be able to speak French. But I also think they should make it a requirement to hire someone who's good at hockey. <laughs> it's, it's not even speak French. And and this is kind of the one point I read over the last week that actually did kind of 
I, I always thought it was the dumbest thing in the world, but it, it did explain to me. It's not just that they have to speak French. They have to be from Quebec because they have to understand the market because Quebec is different. As Canadians, we know this. They are passionate. They have their own culture and history and there are certain their things. own rules of the road that's for sure <laughs> that's true Shit. don't what? drive a car you like over there oh, can you even God. call those roads i feel like they all disintegrated 18 years ago but anyways but no it does make a lot of sense um as to why montreal should have someone from quebec or at least the area be the gm but at the same time they understand that well, that really limits the talent pool for who you can hire. And like I said, of all the people being rumored, none of them inspire confidence. So it's good that you have the go- – it, It's, it's good structure. that you have the – yeah, get get the guy who's been there and done it and done it well. Even if he's not a francophone, don't put him in the GM role. He can still help collaborate in the decisions or hell, maybe whoever they hire as GM could just be a puppet and Gordon is pulling all the strings. I don't know. I don't care. But it is a really, really smart workaround while still honoring – the culture of your organization and your fan base. It's the first smart thing the Montreal Canadiens have done in about a decade, honestly. I think it's overdue. I also think that's easy for me to say when Montreal fans just had one of the most fun playoff runs in recent memory and maybe for a long time. So it's easy for us to say sitting in this room and not in Montreal. Yeah. No, it's like I said, yet, yet, we're not in Montreal yet. It was it was overdue, but like I said, uh, Molson gets full credit for the way he didn't handle everything this week. Jumping to one other quick piece of news, uh, Brendan Lemieux bit Brady Kachuk. <laughs> how is that? How is that a thing that happened between two grown ass adults with cameras all around? And the best part of it is someone from Hockey Twitter. Which I don't want to say remains undefeated, is often defeated, but sometimes is just so good. Is they got Gilbert Gottfried oh, that was- to read. Oh, yeah, I saw that. The transcript of Brady Kachuk. Chuck. Is uh, Brady Kachuk's. Oh, it was cracked there. Uh, his transcript of um, what he said about <laughs> Lemieux. Claude Lemieux was also kicked out of a game for this before. Fun fact for those who don't know, Claude Lemieux is Moritz Sider's agent, the last I checked. <laughs> but uh, the prevailing opinion was the apple does not fall far from the tree with <laughs> Lemieux and and his dad. Well, talent-wise, the apple falls pretty far, but, you know. That's yeah, Claude it. won a Conn Smythe. Conn Smythe, Claude, the, Claude Lemieux was a legitimately good hockey player, which just made all his bullshit even more infuriating. His son is a ter- terrible hockey player, shouldn't be in the NHL, but yeah. Either way, uh, Kachuk made that point very clear. <laughs> Definitely was as eloquent as you can expect a hockey player to be. I'm, what do you call him, a brickhead? Yeah. yeah. I'm upset Love we're it. a Red Wings podcast and we have to have a Red Wings themed title to this episode. Otherwise, I would want the title to just be Brickhead. Brickheads. <laughs> the Brickhead podcast. If you're an Ottawa Senators podcast, uh, change your name to the Brickhead podcast, please. I promise you it'll the go Brickheads. So yeah. Anyways, Brickheads, colon, an Ottawa Senators podcast. I I really don't understand anything else to say about this besides, yeah, Brendan Lemieux bit Brady Kachuk and they got Gilbert Gottfried to read out Brady Kachuk's anger. I hope <laughs> Brady got a tetanus shot. Yeah, he's going to need, I'm sure he got some kind of care, which is, oh my God. Um, on a, a completely unrelated note, but I wanted to provide an update. We managed to watch mighty ducks 2 and the third the second might be the worst movie i've ever watched in my life 
Uh, apparently last episode i miss i accidentally said philadelphia yeah instead of minnesota we've been hearing it all week yeah that might be the worst movie of all time i would recommend skipping it completely <laughs> if you are going to try and relive some of your childhood you just gotta be you just gotta be inebriated i think the third actually wasn't bad and it had worse reviews on google because i was like there's no way the yeah. third could be worse than this second movie and it was rated worse of the three because this- i found it better because there was less hockey being played so they could just maybe tr- attempt to act for once what you're telling me a goalie skating to the red line and scoring on a knuckle puck isn't realistic yes the fact there's egregious penalties everywhere all over the ice it, people just set the pick randomly all over the ice and just like destroy each other it's it's the third is okay I'm going to show them clips of like those random picks and we're going to tell my kids that's what clutch and grab hockey was in the NHL. <laughs> Seriously, it was, it is so, uh, I only watched the first one. Well, on that. No animation to much to Catherine's uh, displeasure. The animated series, man, underrated, underrated and underappreciated. On that note, um, let's jump into overtime. Uh, our patrons are the reason we're able to do the show truly the heart and soul of this podcast. And they are able to, um, they're the reason we're able to do things like winged wheel podcast night at the LCA. Brad, what are you giggling at? What is this? (laughs) Uh, someone has photoshopped the Smashville Nashville Jersey and they just made it, um, the ingredients list and the logo for a ranch dressing bottle. (laughs) Thank you, Wobot. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Love Wobot. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to help support the show. Oh, Seriously, can't say thank you all <laughs> enough. Um, you are the only reason that I don't murder Brad on every episode of this podcast. So, or that I will. I don't know what you want to pay for. Have yeah. delayed the murdering. Yes. We're going to, you're going to have to sit near the tree next episode. He can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> um, First question here I want to take from uh, is from Kirkland Brand Socks. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, the idea of taking a flyer on someone like Dylan Strom? His underlying metrics look solid, and he's still relatively young, uh, a relatively young center at 24 years old. What would you be willing to part with for him? Uh, you always take a flyer on guys like that. Again, like you mentioned, depending on cost. Would I give up a premium pick at this point in dylan strom's career no probably not so i'd say anything third round or later i'd probably comfortably do um yeah i there might be a chance here for a little bit of a role player swap like if chicago wants something like a a more defensively minded player if they want to do a favor like st louis then yeah you do that but chicago with their new management to, to come in and their interim gm they're very much going to rebuild now I, I so i don't think they're going to get fleeced so if the price is right yeah absolutely uh jeremy dolphin says what are your predictions for zadina's next contract <laughs> circle back at the end of the season this could still go a lot of ways <laughs> as of right now i see a very cost effective two to three year deal kind of like mantha's bridge do you remember that it's gonna be a bridge that's all i know yeah that's all i can comfortably say um darren ficarelli says outside of gerard who's been talked about um are there any good trade options for defensemen i'm still intrigued by travis sanheim and philly not the mighty duck city yeah 
that's the risk of recording early morning episodes, uh, but not sure what that would cost. Man, defenseman that would fit the Red Wings timeline. I am drawing a blank. There is a lot of good defensemen who are pending UFAs right now, but obviously that makes no sense for Detroit to do right now. So I'm just trying to think of some of the teams that are maybe doing worse than expected or about to enter a rebuild. So you could pry someone away and I'm not coming up with anything, at least not off the top of my head. There needs to be some market moving. Things have settled and cemented a little bit recently. Not, he's not Iserman's type, but and I think we've talked about it before. But Brandstrom, you want yeah. a poor, you want a poor man's Gerard, but he's hurt now, right? He broke something. Good, we can get him cheaper. Come on, Ryan. Yeah, you know how this works. A Brandstrom was someone who because I, I think he likes to play the right side, but shoots left. Something like that. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyways, um, ruthless and toothless says any chance we make a trade with Edmonton involving grice um i'm not gonna say it's impossible but i feel like edmonton if they're going for a goalie they're going big game hunting um i know a ton of outlets have reported it already but if they can make the cap work it makes way too much sense edmonton's probably looking at someone like flurry not grace flurry would be dealt too because yeah, they're gonna have to move into rebuild mode and he does not make sense for that and the goalie market's just so weird edmonton is in a position where yep they can they should take on pending ufas that should not matter to them uh they would have to get chicago to retain half they'd probably have to send at least a contract back but yeah grace could make sense if they just wanted to back up but i don't think that's at least that shouldn't be the plan all right, and last question here is from one Cody Stark of Stark Spices. I still haven't uh, I haven't used it again, but I did try it once, and those were phenomenal. Um, and notably, didn't get his helmet signed by Chris Osgood at the event because Ozzy wasn't there. <laughs> um, does Nick Jensen, former Detroit Red Wing, uh, get Nor- Norris votes at this rate? No, but he should be recognized for how good he has been he's always underappreciated nick jensen he could get an all-star nod uh i don't know washington's a pretty stacked team right now <laughs> you heard of this ovechkin Dude, guy everybody yeah, every, okay. everybody's out though it's basically just ovechkin dom uh, in his article today made a pretty good case for why ovechkin should get the mvp right now man <laughs> ovechkin with a heart trophy this late into his career would nope. be absolutely insane right now they have no backstrom no mantha no oshi and Ovi's still at a career pace right now. I want to see that guy break the record so badly. I want to see him score 70 goals in his late 30s. He's on pace for, I think, like 67 right now this season. It's it's mental. And what's even crazier is that's not even the highest pace anybody on the, in the NHL is on for. Tricidal's on pace for 70-something. Speaking of late 30s, um, I read a comment, not even remotely related to hockey, but it was on a different subreddit. And someone was like, hey, uh, here's it was a personal finance subreddit. And they're like, hey, um, I'm in my uh, early 20s. And so here's my situation. They list out like their different equities and whatever. And they're like, and I'm 25 years old. And all the comments were like, yeah, 25 is not your early 20s, buddy. 25 is not your early 20s. I'm like, people need to chill out. Because <laughs> one, they're right. But two, like... <laughs> Man, the passage of time is hard. I am so happy that I can now classify myself as in my early 30s. Are you? You're you're soon to be mid. We're going to start calling you mid 30s what, sooner what's, than what's you What's mid 30s? What's the range? I'll call, I'm going to give you 34 as mid 30s. 34 to 36. Yeah. 
So no, he gets 35. <laughs> 36 is late 30s immediately. Fair enough. <laughs> Only for Brad. How old do you think I am? 200. <laughs> Good answer. All right. So do you forget my birthday and how old I am? Yeah, both often. Okay. Don't ask me the birthday right now. That's fine. It's a, as long as you have it in your calendar, I'll. I do, and I have a rough idea. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest with you. If the guess in my head is correct, it was not. Okay. How, Wait. Right July tenth. No. Sixteenth. No. Eleventh. No. Uh, well. No. Well, better than me. I thought it was May. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you both. Ryan, I, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm thirty four. Oh yeah, you are We're a three years split between all of us. I'm right in the middle. Yeah, he's thirty-one. Don't let me ever accuse Brad. You're of being almost a bad thir- friend. You're almost thirty. Yeah, I'm getting there. Born on the fourth. Fourth of what? Stop. <laughs> Stop being a good friend. <laughs> it's so annoying. No one likes it. Evan and I don't want it. <laughs> Yours is easy though, because it was a few weeks, like a few weeks ago. Easy. Easy to remember. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go hang my head in shame. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. Next episode is going to be dropping extremely early on Monday morning. Well, not extremely early. It's going to be dropping on Monday morning. So apologies for all of you who like it on your commute. I promise we'll get it out as soon as we can uh, Monday morning. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 crying Ryan, Hannah Sla- Banana Slam and Jamathong. Oh, it's, the name's getting longer. Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen, and Aluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, uh, who's a brand new name level sponsor. Jay, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, Kanye is a philosopher. King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Eves Bartels, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad the Four Foot Nine Inches, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, uh, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max One Million Dollars, Michael Alsante, Revy DeLuca, Shittin' Bricklets, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.